Welcome to the Leadership Mindset Podcast with me, Tony Brooks, where we look to revolutionize your leadership mindset by changing how you think and see your world, enabling you to do the right things and grow significantly as a leader. Welcome back to the Leadership Mindset Podcast Series. I'm very pleased today to have Fiona Kearns with me, who uh, Fiona and I, I think met originally through the Professional Speakers Association uh, a couple of years or so ago and got to know each other a little bit and both of us operate in the business psychology, leadership psychology space. So always interested to share thoughts with uh, with Fiona. Um, so f- just to give you a bit of background, Fiona guides driven and caring directors, professional senior leaders globally on how to capably, capably step into C-suite roles by unlocking the hang-ups that stop them projecting confident and powerful leadership presence. So it's going to be interesting to dig into that. But welcome, Fiona. Well, thanks so much, Tony. I'm delighted to chat with you today. Yeah, good stuff. And you've just come back from uh, a three-week holiday in Australia, I believe. Yes, I have. And still getting to grips with the jet lag. (laughs) Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. Yeah, so uh, thank you for, obviously, thank you for sparing the time to come on the show anyway, but I know that you've probably got loads to catch up on. So really, really great that we've managed to squeeze in some time to do this. So uh, let's start off with what are the, the central parts of what you do then, Fiona? That There was that introduction, but yeah, what, what's, what, are the, what are the core parts of what you do? The core parts I want to do are that I help people fundamentally with their self-belief and confidence and I do that with a focus on career professional life. Uh, What I find is that senior leaders, professionals, directors, you know, when they get to these C-suite roles, you know, director roles, um, it's a lonely place to be and they struggle wondering should they be there? Are they, are they good enough to be there? And can they do it? And that can actually damage their self-belief, even though they've attained the role and been given the role. And when I meet them, I know they're well able for the role, but they often don't feel like they are. So I support them in order to build their self-belief and confidence so that they can deliver in the role. It's ultimately about performing better, but it's getting at the fundamentals personally. Yeah, love that. And I think um, you and I spoke before, and I I talk quite a lot about survival psychology at the minute. But from what you were saying there, I guess I don't like the phrase hugely, but imposter syndrome or people feeling... uh, potentially a fraud and uh, I was speaking with somebody last week I think that the problem is and I don't know I'd I'd be interested to hear your perspective on this Fiona is that when people move into those C-suite positions they're often as as in any promotion they've been moved there based on their potential and their experience so far and what they've proven but they're not expected to be the complete finished article and uh, but maybe they they think they are how what's your thoughts on that? Hmm, that's a good one. I mean, in any role, there is a there's a run in period, um, and you have you have to come to grips with the role. Um, but I I see the bigger challenges around people reverting back to the doing in those roles rather okay. than being strategic. Yep. I, I see that as a bigger piece. 
Um, because when people are under pressure and a bit stressed, they lean on what they know. I mean, we, we all do this, right? You know, when we're under pressure, we stick the pizza in the oven instead of making the nice chicken Caesar salad. Um, so we revert to type and sometimes they are bad habits. So I see it less about that, but I think people don't give themselves the opportunity. I think individuals can look to other directors or other leaders and be like, oh, look at them. They don't seem to have any problem with this, but they don't. They're looking at the finished article. They're not looking at how that person was when they started out and didn't have a clue. So I see it in part of being giving yourself a little bit of grace, having a plan for yourself and getting some wins under your belt and getting support. The, the, the real issue is that people think that they have to do it on their own when the reality is great leaders surround themselves with support. So actually, you know, your MD, your CEO will surround themselves with great people. They don't have to be the best accountant. Yeah, they have to be able to read the financial statement, but actually they're leaning on their FD or the CFO or what have you. Um, and that's what we all need to do as well. We need good people around us. It's the same in your friend circle. You know, you need the person to tell you, you know, that looks crap on you or, you know, nicely, you know, you need those trusted people around you and you don't have to do it all by yourself. But often that supportive person may not be in the organization as well. And, 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 you know, when I talk about in imposter syndrome and one of the strategies I recommend is, you know, to get support and get a mentor. And yes, that could be me. So it's a bit self-serving my saying that, but it's also looking around your colleague peer group for people to, to know who you can call up, who can support you in that area. And, you know, in in organizations, it can be very competitive. So you might not want actually the colleague to support you because, you know, if it's very, very competitive, that could work against you. Um, but you but having that support around you, I think, is more important. So on this one, I think it's give yourself some grace, put a plan in place, get a mentor and get some quick wins under your belt. And they're the type of things I encourage people to do when they start in these roles and um, because that allows them to build their own confidence, to, 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 to allow themselves to not get everything right, to have a bit of a plan in place and try and get a couple of wins in there in the beginning, even little small ones. Don't try to do everything in one go. Get a couple of small wins in there, build your confidence, show people what you can do and, and, and keep going and let that be a launch pad. Yeah, no, I like that. I've, I've worked with a number of people who stepped into either C-suite director roles. And again, I don't think they're going to immediately be more strategic. And as you said, that's an interesting point about people reverting back to the doing because that's where you feel, I guess that's the comfort zone, isn't it? And working with people like you and I to, to help become more strategic. And as you said, start to see how they can make the best of that role. I think that's all really good advice there, uh, Fiona. I think that, and you said actually getting to, I think, one of the things that counters that, if we talk about it again, imposter syndrome is starting to get some achievements that you recognise. So I liked the way you described getting some wins under your belt because that's important. And, and also, just to pick up another point you made, I think about looking around at peers in an organisation. I've, I've been working with 
a guy had stepped up into a director position and his boss was asking me last week, he said, when we finish work with you, how does he get some continuity of support? And I said, why don't you work with him and identify somebody in the organisation he can have a, a strong relationship with and continue to be able to talk to? Because I think sometimes it's just being able to talk openly, isn't it? Uh, Fiona and confide in somebody so I loved all that yeah Um, absolutely absolutely and I think that peer support is really important someplace you can safely say you know this is a bit rubbish and not not necessarily just because you're looking for somebody to fix it but just to vocalize it and say listen this is a bit crap and it's like you know when you're building a business or you know somebody's asking you how things are you know how's business you know has anybody ever said to you oh no it's terrible (laughs) clearly you know certainly not like a networking event or something like that or in a press release nobody says you know finances are absolutely crap and we're we're all putting that you know that good face on out there which is important and you know we understand that's part and parcel of it but you do need a place where you can say, actually, this is really crap and I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, you know, you need a place where you can a- have that trust and you know it's not going any further. And, you know, topical at the moment, that's one of the things, you know, with with the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, you know, some of the commentary with the past prime ministers, they talked about the importance of that. In fact, the fact that every week they, they spoke together but they knew this wasn't going to be leaked to the media um you know you had a trusted third party um that wasn't going to be going for their job next week or 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 what have you and and the value of that and and i think that is something that you see time and time again having a trusted peer group makes such a difference so you know being in some kind of mastermind either something that's formally set up or you set up yourself has immense value yeah no love it and what about so you talk about hang-ups that you see stopping leaders projecting this confident powerful presence what are the hang-ups we started to talk a little bit there Fiona about them but what what are, what are the hang-ups do you typically spot them it's this feeling of not being good enough it's the almost surprised that people view them as experts or good you know I don't feel like a leader and they ask my opinion because they think I'm an expert um, and all of these things but you know one of the questions I put to people is okay and that's understandable you know I, I think we all have these hang-ups. Fiona has hang-ups. You know, I am, I am, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, they pop up from time to time. But, you know, would a third party say that you're an expert? Yeah. You know, are, are they right to be asking your opinion? You know, have, have you the value and so on? And it's always yes. You know, I'm not hearing from people, no, I'm not really an expert. You know, they shouldn't really ask me, what would I know? Um, you know, the initial response can that for that can sometimes be no, but actually when you scratch the surface a bit, people want to know what they have to say and they're asking and, and they're giving them credit and recognition because they've earned it, but it's the internalizing of it. So it's building on what we've discussed already, Tony. It's this feeling of not being good enough. It's, it's not being confident. It's looking, it's that comparisonitis 
Look yeah. at them over there. They seem to do it with no problem, but I struggle to do it. It's it's the it's the fundamental sense of feeling not good enough and, and, and helping them work through that and internalizing those things, internalizing, you know, that they are a leader and and, and looking for evidence. So it's almost like, OK, let's let's look at this objectively. Because subjectively, you can feel like I'm not a leader, I'm not a manager, I'm not a director, I'm not good enough. Okay, well, let's look to the evidence to that effect. So what evidence do you have to back that up? And when you look for the evidence and you look for the numbers and you look for all those things, that then you you dig into that. Now, you know, part of, you know, the whole, you know, imposter syndrome is the procrastination, perfectionist piece as well um so you're looking at you know part of you know um you know when you look at how people deal with with different situations so they might you know do follow the perfectionist route we we, like i will do everything to the nth degree i will over prepare i will make sure i've got every question covered even the crazy ones even the ones that you don't nobody's ever going to ask you and i was just like oh wow and then you have that i'm just going to put it off the last minute and 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 you know the 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 task is done or the event occurs and you get to the end and you go oh that actually went okay oh good okay and if you've procrastinated you feel crap afterwards because you think oh wow i really winged it i barely got away with it oh my god like the anxiety is just welling up and because Oh my God, it's worse now almost because I delivered and people don't know how crap I am or I've over prepared. But oh my God, the hours I spent investing in it, like I will never be able to keep that up. I've d- delivered and yet. So in, so we, we attribute our success to, to these things that don't make us feel better, even though we're successful because we feel like people or we, we feel like it's not sustainable. You know, oh, yeah. oh my God, I'm, I've just been winging it. Or, you know, I've had to put so much effort into it. That is not sustainable. So I feel bad instead of switching it around and looking at, well, what exactly did you do and try and tease out, you know, what you could, what you did specifically, even in the procrastination stuff, you did some good things, presumably in the last day or two days beforehand in order to deliver. But what happens is we don't attribute the success to ourselves. We attribute it to other things. Look, I got there, you know, by the seat of my pants. It was just look that. So then we're not building on our own internal reserves. We're not building our confidence on our self belief because we're attributing it to bad, bad things in inverted commas. Because the bad thing is it was look. Or the bad thing is it's over preparation. And we've learned that over preparation is bad. That kind of perfectionism mindset. That's really interesting. And I think that particularly that piece you were talking about with perfectionism and almost the belief that you've had to put a load of preparation in for something. And then at the end of it, you're thinking, I I can't sustain that. So, uh, I, th- I think that, and then as you say, moving from subjectivity to objectivity, because an objective view of that is, if it's something new to you, you won't need to do that level of preparation every time you do it, and that you start to build skills and 
shortcuts and ways of doing things. So, yeah, no, that's that's a really interesting because I do think perfectionism is a big problem. And I and I think personally that I think that comes from a place of trying to prove yourself. And that's that that and that self-analysis all the time, isn't it? For the owner that I'm not good enough, so I'm going to need to actually really push myself hard and almost be a perfectionist because otherwise i'm going to be found out and uh and, and i can't do that and, and and i've never really thought about that spin on over preparing and that not being sustainable so that's that's a really interesting route to do that one of the other things that you talk about on your i think it was on your linkedin profile i saw it fiona was career injuries <laughs> so what do you what do you see as career injuries yeah this is a good one I think it's it's a number of different things. It's I, I struggle to say this, but it, it it's it's trauma. It's it's things negative things that have happened to you in work that hold you back. Um, perhaps somebody saying you're not very good with people, or <laughs> you know, given feedback that you're crap at, at what you do. Or, you know, you're not very good with numbers or uh, losing something very important, maybe losing an account or not successfully saving something. Um, it could be working in a toxic workplace and, and, and what that did to you and, and your confidence. Yeah, it can it can be it can be being treated differently in the workplace um, and, and, and allowing that to really impact you. Personally, I really struggle with with failure and um, you know negative feedback. It it really hits me very very hard. So I find it very difficult to recover from that. So negative things that are shared with me or situations I've been in have really damaged me and I have to work really hard to 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 build myself back up in order to counter that. So it's kind of landmark things in your career that have damaged you and you've come back from but but they're still there lingering in your head. You know, I'm 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 not going to be able to do that role because I'm not good with numbers. Or traditionally, I'm not good with people, so I probably haven't honed those skills. Um, I've been in a toxic workplace and people said I was lazy. So in some ways, it could be small things, but it's the things that contribute to the negative image we have of ourselves. Again, that not good enough, but sometimes they're more specific. You know, you, you know, you don't know marketing or you've had a failure in a particular area. And it's it's the failures. Ultimately, their failures are negative landmarks in your career that cut you deep. You don't tell anybody necessarily um, things that you might be ashamed of. Yeah. Um, if I'm not being clear, maybe it, it's useful for, for me to share some things that have happened to me that I've seen... Uh, come up with clients as well for example um for me you know um you know what are so many embarrassing things but you know I'll, I'll share this one you know not standing up for myself in a particular way I remember uh when I was new working at board level a fellow board member you know, telling me I needed to change my voicemail every single day and so on and which was ridiculous 
but I never told him it was ridiculous. And uh, I, I, I don't know, this is doesn't really encapsulate because it's a real minor thing. But that for me has been something really stand out for me because it was both a measure of how I felt at the time because I didn't tell him to go get lost, basically, that that was a ridiculous use of my time. Um, But it has always hurt me and embarrassed me that I allow that to happen. And I think sometimes within our careers, we have things that we're ashamed of and we feel less than. And that one spurs me on. But it's also one that I, uh, I suppose there's just the shame and, and, and I, I have to kind of manage that because it's still really, it's, it still hurts that, you know, for, for various different reasons. And the other thing about that as well, by the way, is something that I see happen with many new directors is that others can send them on wild goose chases to do things that are useful for them and not for you. Like whether I change my voicemail every day made no zero impact on the organization whatsoever. That was their own agenda and so on. And he was absolutely wasting my time. Um, but, but that hurt and cut me because I, first of all, allowed him I, you know I went along with it initially because I thought he was helping me in other areas but it was also showed I suppose a, a deep lack in me at the time and I worry about that I think working in a toxic workplace where maybe you've been bullied as well or you know you yeah. into a particular corner yeah. that really hits on those things because you know people will hit your push buttons so whatever they are you know, they will pick up on them because, you know, somebody says, oh, you know, you've got terrible hair. Don't really care, whatever. And somebody says something that's important to you, then that really matters. You know, you're not delivering, you're not good with certain things. And I think it's those things that stand out that hold you back because you have this, you know, they're hitting the push buttons of stuff that you're not good at, that you care about. And again, it's back to the not feeling good enough but those feel like proof that yeah. you're not good enough. And I think that's the difference. The career injuries are like the 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 evidence that you are not good enough. And again, you need to check into those as well. You know, is that really evidence? You know, was my not putting my voicemail on every day evidence that I wasn't very good at my job? No, of course it wasn't. But I can only say that now quite a number of years later because that whole experience, you know, that's a minor one and a whole scale within that experience. So I, I think it's all of those things. So anything stand out in your career that demonstrates to you that you're not very good, that you're keeping to yourself and you might need to work through that and again, look for the evidence. Yeah, and as you say, it's good to have somebody to help you work through that and look at it more objectively as well. So, yeah, thank you for sharing yours. And I think there's a whole range there, wasn't there, of of career injuries and um, that I think a lot of people would relate to, toxic cultures, feeling bullied. I think we all make mistakes and failures. I made one big mistake when I was... um, in database and technology work, which I sometimes share in stories when I'm out speaking at events. So I think we all have them and sometimes the impact of them can hang with us, can't they? Uh, so good, good to process them and, and do best to move on from them. Yeah. So I really like that. I think that's, that's important. What do you think are the most important things uh, that a leader 
whether they be C-suite leader or, or any leader, what do you think are the most important things for a leader to work on to grow in their role then, Fiona? I mean, I guess some of that is around processing career injuries and dealing with self-belief and confidence. But what are, what are the things come to mind for you in terms of things to work on for a leader? Yeah, I, I think it's all those things that we're discussing. I think that's absolutely fundamental. I think you have to do your own work on yourself. But I think alongside that, it's the it's the people in the organization, stakeholders, people in the industry. It's the people stuff. Um, you can get very busy. You know, talked earlier about, you know, people reverting to type and focusing on tasks and things like that. I think it's very easy for people to just focus on what's going on in the boardroom or what's going on in the strategy um, side of things which is really important. I'm absolutely not advocating to to sidestep any of that. That's absolutely critical, of course. But I think staying in touch with what individuals in the organisation and industry are actually experiencing is really, really important. Um, I find it so interesting, you know, there's this talk of hybrid workplace and, you know, high profile people saying everybody should go back into the workplace and so on. And I disagree with that. I think, you know, individuals and organizations can make their own choices around what's right for them and different, for different people. It's, it's different things will be right. But I also feel that some of those individuals who are outspoken in one regard are, are another are just really disconnected from the people in the organization because, you know, there can be this view, for example, that working from home, you're sitting there and you're watching Netflix or you're on TikTok or something all day long, not doing any work. Um, but, you know, I, I would always counter that and go, well, what about the performance? Are people delivering the results they're supposed to? And I think a lot of the challenge around that is that that piece is not managed. The performance piece is not being managed. So it doesn't matter where they are, because if you are... um you know, equating presence in the office with actual performance, you've got much bigger issues. That's my personal take on it. I think we should understand what people are doing and what they're expected to deliver. And then there is the social aspect of it as well in terms of of being present and, and how we manage things. And I think it's a good opportunity for people to figure out what works, what's needed, what be, you know, there's a balance to be had in there. But it's the disconnect. It's the disconnect between senior leader, leaders and individuals who work day to day in the business. And it's typically untapped. Now, my guilty pleasure is watching Undercover Boss on YouTube. <laughs> Not tell anybody. You just but can't. I adore it because you have the CEO and the usually Americans coming down and they're you know in various different jobs and i know it's a pr campaign as well you know doing these youtube videos and the programs and so on but it's always fascinating that they come down particularly if they've set up the business and they've put a lot of effort in which they have of course and they've you know empowered their team and, and the middle management and all of that and they arrive into a place and they go oh my what's going on here and they're absolutely astonished and typically what you see are people coming in going wow these workers are amazing there's there's always the you know the worker that's gone off piece of course but typically you come in and you have these amazing workers trying their absolute best but not able to do pretty basic things do their best under pressure good attitude um 
And the undercover boss is asking him, well, you know, why don't this, why don't that? And they're like, no, no, nobody listens, nobody. And I, and, and I think that's, that being connected and having the opportunity to know what's going on in the organization and what's really going on with people is, is a massive thing. So that's the thing I would encourage in the organization. And I think you mentioned in a previous conversation, Tony, about, you know, linking an individual with another person in the organization, mentoring, for example. And I think that kind of mentoring, you know, upwards, downwards, horizontal in an organization would contribute to that as well, that it allows people to understand what's going on truly in the organization, but not just understand, be able to get the great improvement ideas from the people who are doing the role as well. I think it's a missed opportunity uh, and it, it really disturbs and saddens me and sometimes makes me despair to see these big statements in the media ultimately saying the workers are a bit lazy so they yeah, yeah. the office so we can keep an eye on them. Um, that carrot and stick approach, I can't believe it's still around in 2022, but I, I think it is still there in some quarters. And I think you're touching on it. I think that some of that and the journey that organisations and leaders on is that element of trust, isn't it? And I think that's going to be exposed more and more now because, as you say, leaders have got to get more focused on performance results outcomes and not whether somebody's clocking in at nine or uh, finishing at five if they're working remotely and all those kind of things it's it's as in well much more important really to focus on what what are they delivering are they delivering and i think work's going to move more and more like that i think uh that just that that trust that's needed and a focus on results outcomes and are people doing the things that they're they're expected and asked to do and that and that's all good then it's uh that's an important part of it i wanted to just go off a slight tangent Again, going back to C-suite leaders, we, we talked about, and thank you for sharing a lot of thoughts on challenges that leaders face. Do you see anything that are, any challenges that are particularly unique to C-suite leaders in their roles? What's unique to C-suite leaders as opposed to other leaders I think is the combination of strategy required yeah. and and I, I think it's the, the strategy and knowing what's going on truly in the business as well. I think I think that's particular to them. And I suppose what I'm thinking of here is when you're not the MD or the CEO, when when you're when you're there and and you have to be involved at at the different levels. But I but I think within that the fundamental challenge is the not having a, a, a supportive person around you, a go to um, mentor, coach that allows you to have a sounding board ultimately and I think that's a key challenge and I think that's um it's not unique to C-suite I would say it's unique in that senior leadership space where there is a a small number of people you know on a hand or two and it's naturally competitive because and that can be very useful It, it can veer into the toxic as well you know it doesn't always deliver but that can be advantageous but I think having the good team around you a good sounding board 
will allow you to excel in that area. And it will also allow you to move out of that area if it's not working for you. Yeah. you know, when, yeah. when, when you talked about trust earlier on, I there's something about trusting yourself as well within this particular sphere and believing that you're good enough and capable enough to leave if an organization isn't what you want it to be. Um, and yeah. if, if they're not aligning with your values, then being able to trust yourself and leave is, is, a, is a good thing to do. And people often do better when they leave and even if they end up returning. Yeah. So I think the challenges of the C-suite um, aren't always specifically unique to the C-suite, but I think they're unique to the kind of very senior kind of leadership level. Yeah, and I liked what you said right at the beginning that about there's almost that bridging between having to step up to be more strategic as you go into C-suite roles, but not disconnecting from what's, I use the word, what's truly going on in the business, because that needs a connection and it needs time with your people uh, because, and sometimes that's not always relying on your manager's views of what's going on in the business. So I thought, I think that's a really interesting view of C-suite level, being able to do bridge between both really so yeah, yeah i like that okay just one, one final question for you what do you think success looks like for senior leaders then in your work what what do you think they perceive as success and what do you think really is success in, in a role as, for a senior leader it's a good one success is it's a combination of things we all know that Traditional measure of success is money, and that's still vitally important. Like nobody's going to, you know, you're, are you really successful if you can't afford to go away on that great holiday you want or, you know, do things with your family that you want? Money and finances are absolutely still fundamental, but it's also impact legacy is, is, is a huge thing. And also being able to deliver and deliver results in a, a way that aligns with their, their, their values. There's the ability to be caring. So, you know, when I talk about, you know, caring and, and, and driven leaders. So this is not a leader who wants to be a leader and deliver results at all costs. That's not a win. That's not success for them. Yeah, they want to be a leader, an employer who is fair, uh, who cares, um, who feels like individuals care about them and the organization as well. They ultimately want it to be fair and deliver a positive impact in the world. And you will see, you probably see this as well, Tony, you know, particularly as people move towards, you know, the last kind of 10, 20 years of their career or working life that people care much more about legacy what they're leaving behind um what what they're going to do afterwards and so on and i think that becomes more and more important so success is great performance results financial success done in a fair and caring way so that it's it's a win-win you know, they wouldn't view success um, as being, you know, wonderful financial results, but, you know, employees unable to feed their families. So those are the key things. It, it's a balance. And it's also not, it's, it's, 
it's where they can have a life where they're not working 24 seven as well. That's part of it too. Yeah. It's money and it's not money full stop. And and I, I, I see that for, I think that's been the biggest shift we've seen in recent years from the traditional definition of success. Yeah. I relate to a lot of that. And I think that for, for me, I think it's, I think it, as you say, it is that performance results, financial side of it. You can't get away from that. But I think sometimes that's, there's too much focus on that. And I think it is about being able to, like you've been speaking about the whole way through this episode, being able to step up confidently into your leadership shoes and feel that you, you're doing a great job and confident in that. And I think also being fulfilled and that aligning with values that you spoke about comes in with that for me as well, Fiona. And then for me as well, it was just brought on a broader level. I know this is hard to quantify sometimes, but that happiness really, not just in work, but in life. And if work is, and it often can for senior leaders, sucks all of their time up and they don't have quality time for their hobbies, their family, uh, all of those kind of things, then like that. I don't think for me that doesn't sound like success. So I like the way that you've brought in a few things there that broaden it out. And I think a lot of senior leaders will be thinking more and more about this. I think as they go forward in the years about a, a much more broader different definition of what success looks like, really. Hey, Fiona, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all your thoughts today. It's, um, there's a, there's a load of really interesting themes in there. For, I think for leaders all level, I know we've, we've, t- we've touched quite a lot on C-suite leaders, but I think leaders at all level to reflect upon and, and take away from that. If people want to find out more about you, where's the best Where's the best place to go then, Fiona? Best place is my website, cairnsconsultancy.com. And I'm on LinkedIn every single day. So you'll find me there as well, Fiona Cairns. Yeah, and just for people who uh, are listening to this, that's um, Cairns, K-E-A-R-N-S. So cairnsconsultancy.com and Fiona Cairns on LinkedIn. So, yeah, people um, can now find you, connect with you, find out further about what you do around career in- injuries and helping leaders, as you were saying right at the beginning, with their, their self-belief and their confidence and, and stepping into those senior leadership roles. So thank you very much, Fiona. And, um, yeah, well, you and I will obviously be keeping in touch because we're getting to know each other much more as we go along anyway. And, and thank you for sharing your time today. Thank you, Tony. It's been a lot of fun. If you want to explore your leadership mindset in more detail, why not complete our free leadership diagnostic at thetonybrooks.com and subscribe to this podcast to join us for future podcasts.